Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. Last week, Donna Cryer took over the podcast so I could have time on vacation. We are offering three conversations from her podcast on broadening patient participation and increasing engagement in clinical trials. In this conversation, Donna and her panelists, social media maven and metadata vice president Alicia Staley, NORX Chief Medical Officer James Powell, and Global Liver Institute Global Head of NASH Programs Jeff McIntyre, discuss factors that are critical to creating the physician ecosystem that drives the culture necessary to encourage participation in clinical trials. This isn't exactly your typical Surfing Nash episode, but there's a tremendous amount to learn here. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Green on vacation, he invited Donna Cryer, founder and CEO of the Global Liver Institute, to lead Surfing Nash this week. Donna's guests are Jeff McIntyre, director of Nash programs at the Global Liver Institute, patient advocate and breast cancer social media pioneer Alicia Staley, and Dr. James Powell, a national thought leader on recruiting clinical trial patients from underserved communities. Join them as they discuss keys to creating diverse representative patient populations for Nash trials this week on Surfing the Nash Tsunami. Dr. Powell, and then to Alicia. How can we create this better, more receptive ecosystem for NASH patients to participate in trials, if that's right for them? We've talked a bit about the physician relationships, awareness of the disease, being connected into care, having a physician relationship that can be trusted, hopefully patient mentors that they get to fill in all the blanks. But I know both of you have used different types of technology and have been involved in the weeds of trials. And so maybe, Alicia, tell us about how technology can help once we have all this warm and wonderful community built? It really comes down to once you've established community, you've got that sort of consistent touch point and the ability to communicate with them. And then it's really sort of taking it from there and furthering the education with the community and letting them know that clinical trials could potentially be an option for care. It should be sort of weaved into the way that they're managing their disease and really allow for further learning and further education to take place. And create almost like a registry or some sort of offering where a person can put information and set specific parameters or timelines for getting more information or being gently reminded every few weeks or months about different opportunities that might be out there and just allow for that sort of continual engagement opportunity or that continual touch point that really takes that relationship to the next step. So always building on education, always building on what opportunities are out there and you use tools like a registry or some sort of online community platform that allows for this rich, very dynamic information exchange to continue to take place and give patients the opportunities to meet other patients and talk about their experiences. Education is not a one-time thing. It has to evolve. It has to keep growing. And there's so many tools out there that would allow us to do that, that we can really take advantage of. The biggest barrier to that is just spend the time and energy that it, it makes to set that 
that up and get it going. It's there. In the registry wars, where is the right place to have this information? And maybe right isn't the correct word. What is one of the most successful or productive ways to have the information? Because it could be held in many places and many medical centers want to hold the data, hold the registry. Sometimes medical societies want to hold the data in the registry. Research networks or CROs want to hold the data and the registry or patient advocacy associations have done a great job with the registries. So speak to that a little bit. We need to flip the model on this in a big way because you're touching on something that's happening in the breast cancer communities right now that every single nonprofit, patient advocacy organization, sponsors, tech companies, are, they're launching registries and they're trying to convince patients that their registries are the best. And what's really happening is patients are becoming extraordinarily frustrated because now it's bad enough for us to try to keep track of our electronic health records, but now we've got 20 different registries we have to sign up for to find information about trials or even information about the disease. So I think somebody needs to take a bold step in some of these disease states and say, listen, we'll split the cost of a registry or we'll work with you to build a joint registry so there's one registry for the disease state and and allow for collaborations and relationships with all stakeholders to take place and allow for that true one-time opportunity uh, where you're not competing on patients any longer. You're truly trying to elevate the patient experience and give them one place to go that everybody can draw from. You're not exhausting the patients. You're not burning patients out. You're not frustrating them because they've got to check 20 different registries or get 25 different email missives about a new trial that might work for them when it's just, it's not the right answer. So who can be the true patient champion step forward and say, the time is now for, you know, a disease statewide registry or a collaboration where we can truly service the patients. I love that. And I do think that we see examples. One of my rock star role models that I think we all have is Kathy Giusti. And one of the things that I admire so much about her and what she did in her disease state was she set the ground rules for how the data would be shared. So you couldn't keep it siloed in this, that, and the other. You had to participate. You had to share. So I absolutely think that there needs to be a focus on what is best for the patient. What is best to advance the disease state the fastest and get the answers if possible. And I, I want to ask a question to Dr. Powell. Would that help having the infrastructure already set in a more even playing field in the registry area and maybe more of a service wraparound to be able to participate in clinical trials? All you would need are, you know, these five things. We understand you're busy. You may not have your own study coordinator, but it'd be really easy for this physician, for you to then participate in this larger effort because we have a, a more centralized, a more easy way. And you'd be able to get the data. You wouldn't have to give up the relationship with your patient, but you could participate in research with fewer startup costs and recreating the wheel for each study or each time somebody came knocking at your door. Would that help something like that? Or what would help physicians participate? Well, you're asking me a question that really relates to what I've been working on for the last five years. And I mentioned at the beginning that I was chief medical officer for Norax Health. And what we've done and what we are doing, and tell me if I'm going offline on this, but as I said before, we want to train physicians. Any physician that has the trust of patients, anyone who will, are willing, we want to train them to understand what clinical research is about and why it is important and why even if the physician is not going to be investigated, they need to be knowledgeable enough about clinical research to be a, a reasonable resource to their patients with respect to participation. We want to create more people to be involved in the research, but we also want to create knowledgeable people in the community, physicians who enjoy the trust of patients so they can respond to physician questions. 
So the other thing we're doing is, as we said, we've initiated the process of creating the training program that's easily accessible to the physician. You know, hey, they have a lot of schedule, a lot of things they got to do, but we got to make this easier accessible to them. The other thing is to create, similar to what Alicia was talking about, we're creating, working to use technology to create the virtual community around that physician. Who are those physicians? Who are those patients that trust that physician that can then share information constantly, sustainable information about health and disease, and then, as I said, maybe clinical trials, but then to help them and empower them to take better care of themselves and understand their disease, hopefully prevent disease, but also create opportunities to share information with them about clinical trials that they may qualify for. So that's the approach that we are taking with Norex Health to, to create, like I said, more physicians who will work with investigators, be a supportive network for other investigators so that the patients, their patients would like to participate in trials. You maintain the connection with your patient, but you also have the ability to share information about other trials in their community. And then, as I said before, the virtual community that helps that physician maintain the connection and give them information for the continual management of their diseases empower them to understand and do the things that they can to contribute to the management of their disease. And that by virtue of creating this community, we also create the ability for information to be shared with patients uh, about clinical trials that may be relevant to that particular patient. You know, Dr. Powell, this makes me think of a new metric for trial sponsors when they're looking at CROs. So it's not so much the number of sites, but really thinking through a new way of measuring or assessing and measuring recruitment potential by how big and diverse their network is around that site. How good a job have they done about connecting to the physicians, the relevant physicians of the disease state that would actually feed into not just could you grab those patients, but is there a relationship with them that's is there that virtual community that you talked about? And can you look at the recruitment potential of each investigator site by this network of virtual community? And these are the kinds of things we did with respect to vaccine. We were called upon to engage. Not Everybody was talking to patients and patients, some of them were hearing, some of them weren't hearing. But as you say, the church, if you engage the entirety of the community, that the people that have the trust of those patients, that to be a part of that network, you're going to have what we found that we have a little bit better chance of getting people to understand and listen. First of all, they got to listen. They got to tune in and say that, that you're talking to them. I've done some work where people say you weren't talking to me when the whole campaign was about talking to them, but you weren't talking to them because you weren't talking to the people they want to listen to. I think there's so much truth right there. So as we bring this to a close, which I want to do to be respectful of your time, I'm so grateful for you all being here today. It seems what I've heard for us to be able to get every person, because if one in four people in the U.S. and globally is walking around with some form of fatty liver disease or NASH, we need to be talking to everybody about this. So if every person knows about NASH and hears that from a trusted advisor, friend, community member, community health worker, or community digital health worker, which is a new thing I'm trying to coin, uh, if they hear repetitively in places that they already go that participating in a NASH clinical trial, particularly at this point in the state of the field, and there's not a drug yet, should be considered as a normal part of care. That every doctor is prepared to have that same conversation with them, whether it's their primary care doctor, the endocrinologist or gastroenterologist, certainly a hepatologist, clearly. But by the time you've reached a hepatologist, you're in trouble. Uh, I know that from personal experience. (laughs) So if it can be more, if you can just pull it back, back into the community. So this is just a conversation that people are having, but that they're productive conversations with the tools and resources that they need to have it. It seems to me that's how we're going to get to the 25,000 
people in a much shorter period of time to answer the questions that we need to have answered. Is that right? Yes. I'm on to something? Definitely. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Jeff loves, and he knows that I love nothing more than to hear Donna, you're right. But no, I've just listened to the experts here. So as we sign off, the one thing that you would love the people who pay to have NASH clinical trials done to know or do differently. Jeff, Dr. Powell, Alicia, because that's how you all on my, on my little screen here. But one thing that people who spend all this money on doing the trials, what should they do differently? Uh, thank you for letting me go first here at the end. I would say that they need to realize this is not an overnight resolution. Relationships of all sorts take work. You need to collaborate and partner with patients programmatically in terms of the design, the protocol review, where to go, what language to use, who are your local community folks that you can partner with. You either do that, you do the best practices, or you're still going to be stuck on kind of the clinical street corner with your cup out, hoping that someone just comes by and drops some patients in. <laughs> uh, we need to take you on the road, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Dr. Paul, what is the one thing that you'd like for people who pay all this money into these trials to do? Well, the thing I think about is a sustainable presence in educating the people about their disease and about clinical research. Not just at the time you want to do a trial, but just a sustainable presence and maintain the level of creating a level of awareness and understanding of what we do as part of research. And too often, that doesn't come until, you know, you want something from them. It should be baseline that you're going out and educating people about what you do and how we do research and how we develop medication and why we do it the way we do it. What Dr. Powell just said was absolutely spot on. Invest in the community, not the trial. If you're at a point where you're ready to participate in a trial and it's the first time you've stepped into the community or reached out to a community, it's too late. You're already behind. So stop thinking of a trial as a transactional event and start thinking about the work that you do as a community building opportunity. So invest in the community, um, invest in the research that you're doing, but don't spend your precious dollars trying to recruit patients when that money could be better spent building true foundational elements in the communities that you want to have participate in your trials. Fantastic. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, July 28th, with a discussion of comprehensive care models for NASH and comparing what different community models look like and what we can learn about treatment. It's a fascinating topic, a perspective we haven't looked at yet, and we will have with us the lead author of the most recent important paper on this issue, uh, Jeff Lazarus. I hope you join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>